Welcome back. We have got the second installment of Sitting Pretty by Cameron Claire for you. And we're going to play that in just a little bit. But first, we're going to talk about some more book talk drama or just book drama in the middle. I don't even know. It, we're going to discuss some stuff. So I think it was maybe last week, week before, Kay Webster had caused a stir. So she had a series that we've talked about on the podcast before. It was the Hood River series. Yeah, I like gushed over the first book it was a male male book like yeah and it's called hood river rat is the name of the first book in it and it's based off of the hood river in oregon and the people there that live there called not in real life but the people in the book call themselves the hood river rats um in in the term uh hood rat is just really it's a super offensive word but i think when you and i were talking about it before it was like that maybe that's just in the south i don't know um, i've never heard the term hood rat like i haven't heard yeah. that if it's a slur or whatever in the book when i read it i just literally i don't know i didn't even correlate with anything i just thought it was a name they were calling themselves yeah or actually i looked it up because i was like i know that this is offensive because i know not to say it like down here so i just looked up the the definition for those of you who don't um or are, are not familiar with the word it's a slang derogatory term um that is about that is for a young promiscuous woman from an impoverished urban area a person who lives and exhibits attitudes of inner city life usually a negative connotation that implies poor upbringing bad manners little to no education and low class behavior it's a derogatory term for young women who are considered promiscuous, who live or frequent in urban neighborhoods, especially an impoverished one. And then it just says in quote, a person who lives in the hood. So that is like the definition of it is based off of it being a, someone that's in an urban area. So they're most likely black. So that's why it's, you know, an offensive term. And that's sort of like a racial slur, really. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I didn't really think about it, you know, when we were talking about the book, when you initially said the name, I was like, oh, like that surprised me. But I know you were, we were talking about the Hood River and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense why she would call it that. I mean, not obviously not as an excuse. I was just thinking about it as we were discussing it. Now, if I'm remembering right, hold on. Mm -hmm. She called the hero and well, there's two heroes. It's male, male. Yeah he called him rat because he thought he was a snitch okay and they hated each other and it was like this back and forth okay. enemies to lovers so okay. he called okay. him a rat that's what he oh, called him. okay all right so that like was, a hood river like informant basically but he like he told like reported something to the school or something no mm -hmm. it was like a school high school dispute but he didn't tell somebody else mm -hmm. like i'm this was like two years ago i read the book but if i remember right it was just this hero calling this other guy who i believe was caucasian rat mm -hmm. he yeah. called him just rat yeah okay so i i haven't read the book so i couldn't speak to it but that makes sense that you know she would name it that then so and, and i just want to preface it saying like you know Kay webster has always been really in nice and supportive to us like she's never 
you know, done anything. And, you know, I saw her apology on TikTok because the whole reason this came up is because not only this title with this series, but there is a prequel to it. And the title of it is called Hoodlum and it's got a young black man on it. And there is, there's a lot of like subject in the book that's really like stereotypical for black people and it's really offensive. And, you know, it, it was something that had she had a sensitivity reader or, or, you know, more than one person that had read it beforehand, you know, a person of color that maybe these things would have been pointed out to her a lot sooner. So, I mean, she went on TikTok and she made an apology and, you know, I, I listened to her apology. I thought it was sincere, but then I was just like, well, I'm not really the person that she needs to apologize to, you know, yeah. like I, I wasn't the person accepting that, that could re- accept or reject. This wasn't about me. Yeah. So I follow um, Nisha Sharma, who um, I read her book, Dating Dr. Dill, which is fantastic. It's a great contemporary romance if you need something to read. But um, Nisha Sharma also does, she's a lawyer and I don't know what kind of law she practices, but she said it on there. But she was like, hey, she was like, I've tried to message Kay Webster. She was like, so I'm just making this video for you and any other author who ever finds themselves in a predicament like this. She was like, delete your video, take it down now. And she was like, do not give an apology until you have corrected the wrong. Mm-hmm. So at the time, like the books were still up when she made the apology. She took down the the first book, but the rest of the series was still up. And it was like, you know, she's saying she was sorry, but she was still profiting, you know, possibly potentially profiting at the same time. So I thought Nisha had a great point where she was like, no, you really want to fix what's hurting people before you make your apology. And then she was like, you know, make those steps to make this right. And she was like, shelve those books. Don't publish them again. Take it as a learning experience and go forward. So, you know, I, I kind of understood like, you know, what Nisha was saying. And I thought, I thought it was good advice. You should definitely go watch her video. She went on further to explain things and why she says this. So I don't want to paraphrase too much and, and not quote her correctly. But all of this brought about like the term hoodlum that was on the cover with this, you know, young black man. And um, so I don't know if this is like a known thing. So I thought today we would learn a little bit. <laughs> so I know I talked to you on Tuesday's episode. I said, I'm on the TikTok to learn and laugh. So today on the <laughs> podcast, ladies, you're going to learn. So when I was in banking, I was in uh, the finance world for 13 years. I learned about what's called redlining. And that is like, um, I have like the definition and everything. I want to talk about that. So if you don't know what redlining is, you're going to learn this today. And while these terms like hood and ghetto and things like that are, you know, they're, they're slurs, they're, they're hate speech. They're not things that we should be using in our everyday words. So here's your lesson today. Um, redlining, uh, there were loans, all right, sorry, excuse me. The specific process term redlining in the United States occurred on the background of racial segregation and discrimination against some minority populations. I have all my sources linked on here if you may want some. The implementation of federal policy accelerated decay and isolation of minority inner city neighborhoods to withholding of mortgage capital, making it even more difficult for neighborhoods to attract and retain families able to purchase homes. Now, that is like, I know that's a lot to, to try to decipher. But basically what this says was in 1935, the Federal Home Loan Bank Board decided that they were going to type different areas of cities. So type A was known as the green area. These were typically affluent suburbans on the outskirts of cities. 
Type B were neighborhoods outlined in blue were considered still, still desirable. Type C's were labeled declining and in yellow, and then type D neighborhoods were considered outlined in red and were considered the most risky for the mortgage support. While about 85% of the residents in such neighborhoods were white, they include most of the African-American urban households. These neighborhoods tended to be in the older districts in the city, in the center of cities, and often were also black neighborhoods. So they did this in 1935. This, this group went through and did, sorry, the Federal Home Loan Bank. They went through and they did this in major cities. They just outlined places and it made it impossible for people in these red districts to get mortgages for houses. Yeah. So they were forced into either, you know, the government housing or they were forced into, you know, poverty homes like rentals and stuff like there was just there was no access to anything. And there was no way to have upward mobility out of their areas or into other places because they were still considered undesirable candidates because they lived in this area. They also could not get insurance in these areas either because insurance companies adopted this practice as well. So I found this really great, this really great article. It was by Dr. Cedric Burroughs. He's an assistant professor of English at Marquis University. And so he talked about the terms ghetto and hood. And because of redlining and how it segregated these places while they were referred to as ghettos and stuff. He said there's a particular image of those who live in ghettos or hood. That's still racially loaded terminology. It's almost equals when anyone says hood or very ghetto, they're trying to say it's very black. That's another way you're trying to say something without saying something. He said geography is another thing. It's always assumed if you go into a neighborhood in a street that's named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, it's a black neighborhood. Malcolm X would say black, back in his time, if he wanted to know where a black neighborhood was, he would have all he would have to do is find a street named Lincoln because it was named after Abraham Lincoln. In the Deep South, especially with segregation, you would know you were in a black neighborhood because something was named after Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Frederick Douglass, or a school, a school or neighborhood or street will be named after them. He continued to say, these phrases may seem innocent at first glance, but they get more egregious and explicit. For example, lynching has a strong racial connotation. And in the article, he goes through the list, like tons of stuff. Um, one of the things I wrote it on was like bestoflifeonline.com. And where he says the, for the word hooligan derives from a family or a cartoon character of the same name. In the 19th century, the hooligans were a family of Irish immigrants struggling to fit into London. Not only were the cartoons racist, but they also depicted a harsh stereotype of urban immigrants. And that was from um, dictionary.com was where I went through and pulled up the hood right terms and stuff. So urban planners, that's what my husband does. He's a, he's a planning director of our city. He helps plan cities and long-term range, long, long range plans. Urban planning historians theorize that the maps that were used by private and public entities for years afterwards to deny loans to people in black communities. This was also implemented um, by insurance companies, like I mentioned before. So it's just insane to me that that this practice, that this thing that happened in 1935, that they thought that this would be a good idea and how it just separated and segregated and that the, this is still going on today. I was reading an article, too, about. I know what you're going to say. I think I read it. What? Today. The one about the showing the house as. Um, no. A black I oh, OK. I read an article the other day where somebody had their house appraised. Mm -hmm. And then they went back and removed all, it was an 
a black family, they removed all the stuff and then had a white person go in uh-uh. and have the person come back and reappraise. It went up like $800,000. Fuck off. Are you serious? Yep. That's fucking gross. So anyways, you know, the at first glance with a cover like this, you know, that it might, as a white person who doesn't understand or doesn't, doesn't have the knowledge about this sort of history and placement of the word hoodlum or hoods and ghettos and that kind of thing, like, you know, if you don't really know uh, some of the history behind it, this word, it just seems like, you know, oh, that's just a silly name. Like, it's not, it doesn't mean that, you know, but it's really hurtful, especially to people who were, you know, that they've spent their entire life trying to fight against a system that intentionally held their families back for generations yeah. because they were black, you know? So it's like, it's just a, it's just a title and a cover to some people, but to others, it is a representation of their entire lives trying to yeah. fight against, you know? So I get that there is so much hurt that is behind this. And, you know, Kay Webster, who, you know, I, I know that she wouldn't intentionally do this to hurt someone, but again, she's, more than likely, I mean, I would like to give the benefit of the doubt and say she's probably on the side that just didn't understand it, that doesn't know the history behind it, that doesn't understand the connotation of what that means. I mean, yes, it's tone deaf. And yes, if she had a a beta reader or sensitivity readers that were people of color, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know, so, but at, I do like what Nisha Sharma said about take this as a learning example, shelve the books and move forward and do better you know so yeah it's really about yeah when something pops up you going and educating yourself because yeah. you know there was so much we weren't taught yeah so much we yeah. weren't taught in history mm-hmm. and things yeah. like that that i didn't even know happened in our own history Mm-hmm. that I'm learning in my freaking late 30s. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't know about Black Wall Street till like a year or two ago. Yeah. And all of that. I was not taught that in school. No, no none of this is covered. And like I said, I wouldn't have even known what redlining was unless I was in banking because you have to take like courses every quarter. And that's always one of the questions, like what is redlining? Uh, what, how do you recognize it? If you see it happening, like that kind of thing. The only reason I know about redlining and stuff like that is because of college. Okay. College yeah. taught started to get more progressive with that. Yeah. Kind of teaching yeah. you a different, you're like, oh, this and that and kind mm-hmm. of things. That's one thing I do like about college is it's more critical thinking. Yeah, for sure. And you don't have to rely on what your local school system deems appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, our admin, Carla, uh, who is just fantastic. She has her Instagram and everything with her bookish stuff. Carla is reading. Um, she posted a thing the other day. There was um, an author who is white who um, wrote about a Mexican in her book and used really offensive terms to describe the person. And this was a book in 2017. And I get that these were these were words that, you know, she should not have used and that were really hurtful, especially to the Latinx community. And, you know, Carla, even discussing this, I thought she did a great job. And, you know, I'm not doing her justice on describing this whole situation. But the author in question that this happened, instead of 
owning up to it and in speaking out or apologizing or making it right. It was like she was deleting comments and blocking people. And it was like just taking the stance of like, this is my book. These are the words I say to my, I had one friend read this and she said it was fine. And it's like, I get that, you know, no, not one person has a monolith on these words, but I think in general that there could have been a better way to write the story without using offensive words. But so, you know, when, when someone comes at it from a defensive point like that, it's really disheartening. I don't understand why people can't apologize. Yeah. I don't yeah. understand that. Like owning a mistake, even like, I know I've made fucked up decisions probably as a mother. Yeah. I'll apologize to her. I don't understand the problem with, Mm -hmm. owning something saying okay i understand okay i see what you're mm -hmm. saying and how you feel and apologizing for that i think i think it's hard to recognize that you you might have done racist things i think it's hard for people to recognize like oh my god like i have said something that was that was hate speech for someone else you know that that I said something because I wasn't, you know, educated. I didn't think I was, you know, I think maybe that's that initial knee jerk reaction of like, no, I didn't mean it that way. I'm sorry if you took it that way. That's not an apology, you know, like that's Instead not of like, that's, oh, I didn't know oh, that meant yeah, that. Oh my yeah. God. I can't believe, oh my God. Let me fix this. Let me make it right. Like, you know, and that was something else Nisha Sharma suggested was that, you know, um, K Webster make a donation to, you know, a, a, a group or something like that, you know, the profits from these books or something, you know, something to show like her support or that she's going to fix this somehow or, you know, or do her best it, but blocking people's comments and, you know, then deleting comments and blocking people, that's not the way to handle it. But, you know, I thought about, like, I just learned in the past couple of years that gypsy wasn't a, a, I was a term that, that we used. You know what? Like, I just learned that recently. And I'm like, we may have very well put that word in a book or something, you know, like that someone was or that was there, you know, that I don't know. Like, I remember Tessa said that she had a heroine in a book that dressed as a gypsy for Halloween. And she was like, then someone emailed me and was like, oh, no, you can't say that. And it was like holy shit, you know, it was like a whole thing was opened up. You know, I don't expect people to know everything but, all the time. But, but Tessa had the best reaction to it. She stepped yeah. back. She was like, oh, shit. And then she researched it. Yeah, yeah. She like, mm -hmm. like, okay, this word is offensive. I have to find out why, how, why? the yeah. history, yeah. what mm -hmm. this is, yeah. and all of that. And then she, then not only that, then she talked about it. Yeah, she talked, she pulled the book, she discussed it, she changed it. And she like, like and and she yeah. informed us. We had yeah. no idea. Yeah, exactly. So like I thought that was a great learning experience, even though I hate that it was at the expense of, you know, her having to go through it, but I'm glad I learned about it. So I just thought today, you know, maybe you, if you didn't understand like those terms, I hope that I'm able to shed some light on it. You know, there's there's a lots of resources. I literally just had to Google why is the term ghetto offensive? Why is the term hood offensive? That's literally what I Googled. Why is hood offensive? And so like it, it's at your fingertips. So there's a lot of things though that like I don't think of right off the top of my head until somebody points it out. Like mm -hmm. Lizzo pointed out where she said, stop saying that I'm your spiritual, your, your, I'm your spirit animal. She was like, that's offensive to indigenous people. 
You know, yeah. stop saying that. Oh, this is my tribe. These are my tribe. Like, she was like, stop saying that. That's offensive to indigenous people. And it was just like, oh, shit, I never thought about that. You know, like, and they would, someone else was like, oh, well, she's off the reservation. And they were like, don't say that either. And it was like, yeah, like, those are like little things that, you know, they're just kind of ingrained in us that we've thought about. We've said over and never really thought about, okay, what's the context of this word? Where does it come from? And I did see on um, K Webster's video, there were lots of black women who were going on there that were putting in the labor of educating people on why this is bad in all the comments. So, you know, when Nisha Sharma said, take down your video, someone commented on it and they're like, well, she deleted it, but she also deleted, you know, when she took her video down, she took down all the education that we had put in there, you know, all the labor that we had lifted to tell people why this is bad. And so I get that that was probably like upsetting too, because it was like they spent all this time explaining it and then it was gone. Yeah. So I just they thought, didn't even have to, but yeah. they took the time to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That they were like, no, this is fucked up and this is why it's fucked up. And people were just like, oh, I don't really see a problem with it. It's like, well, you're white. So you may have not understood the assignment, but okay. <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, I don't want to, you know, laugh and make light, but I do think that this is something that, you know, I just wanted to cover and discuss. So we learned today. We all learned. We learned. We laughed. We did that. So if you have any questions, please feel free to email me. I have all this written down with sources. So. I mean, you can still, at least here in Kansas City, I can go down across the river and down by the plaza and literally see where the red lining was. You, to this yep. day, you Absolutely. can literally see it, like where this yep. line runs around this neighborhood and these houses that are beautiful and then pushed right mm -hmm. up against this. It's like mm -hmm. it's plain as day when people are like, yeah. how did this happen? We got this neighborhood like this and this one <laughs> It was like planned. This. It was purposely it was planned. <laughs> yeah. They said to they said today one of uh, two of the worst cities that is still this way is Chicago and Atlanta, believe it or not. And they said with Atlanta it's not so much redlining, but redlining was so strict there that they have developed these inherently black areas of Atlanta and white areas of Atlanta. And it's like, there's no, that there is clear definition of whose side is whose. And so it was just like, that amazed me that it is still so deeply ingrained, but it shouldn't because the South is so fucking slow to do anything, especially to change. So there you go. But I'm, I'm glad we could Kansas. all have this. <laughs> Except for Kansas. <laughs> I'm giving Kansas props this one time only because they did the abortion stuff. This one time. They it's get one, one time. time. <laughs> all right. Let's talk a little bit about Cameron Claire before we send you into the second installment. I just want to remind you guys that um, she has three releases in August. She's got Flirt Like a Pen Up that came out August 22nd. Summer Lovin' that came out August 26th and Sitting Pretty. The book you're listening to, it is out in the ebook now if you want to go grab it. The one that she has coming up that's September 16th is Play Action Fake. So make sure you check that one out. And then I mentioned it on Tuesday's episode, but if you like Sitting Pretty and you're loving it, go get Puppy Love. It includes Kiri and Jamie and the whole crew. Um, and then Kiri and Jamie have their own story in Puppy Love. So if you like it, go do it. Uh, go grab that one. And then for she has two giveaways. She has a U.S. and an international one. The U.S. giveaway is a Kindle 7 Plus. Um, her complete backlist of all her ebooks 
And the international giveaway is a $25 Amazon gift card along with a complete backlist of her ebooks. So make sure you go check out all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go send them into the second installment. All right. We'll see you guys on the other side. Four. Ayla. Do you like live music? Lucas holds my hand as we pick at the chocolate mousse cake in the middle of the table. I'm pretty sure our waiter hates us, as we've occupied one of their stations for over three hours, talking about our childhoods, siblings, career aspirations, and dreams. I learn Lucas still lives at home with his single mom, and will until his sister graduates and his mom can handle the mortgage on her own. He seems almost embarrassed by the admission, which is stupid considering he's been the man of his house since he was 14. I find him inspiring. He grew up with even less than I did. We were lower middle class, but he hasn't let it hold him back. I have my suspicions about what he's done to get by, considering how territorial his female client was at the fitness resort. But honestly, What he did before me isn't my problem. I only need to be concerned with what he does while he's with me. I wonder if he'd tell me the truth if I asked. I love live music. He offers me his fork, the tines coated in ganache. My friend Kyrian sings for the house band at Hangry Henry's hideout. It's always a good time. Sounds perfect. I wrap my lips around the chocolatey goodness, moaning low in my throat, more for his benefit than as an appreciation for the confection. His eyes flash with heat, and the corner of his lips quirk with a knowing tick. He puts the fork down and waves the check over his head as if he's suddenly in a hurry to leave. We should go. A few minutes later, Lucas is walking me out of the restaurant while holding my hand in a possessive grip. We pass a couple of tables, women stopping with food hanging in midair to ogle Lucas, their mouths gaping open and eyes popping wide when they land on me. I'd be annoyed, but I catch a couple of their men checking me out so they can bite my ample-sized ass. And let's be honest, Lucas looks amazing in a simple t-shirt stretched tight across his expansive chest and form-fitted jeans. If I weren't the one with him, I'd be dropping a forkful of pasta carbonara in my lap, too. He walks me to the passenger side of his truck and opens the door, helping me step up into the expensive cab with its leather interior that rocks a new car smell. This is a really nice truck, I say. A slight blush hits his cheeks and he nods before closing my door. We're driving toward the south side when he clears his throat and turns the music down. I should warn you before we get there. I went to high school with all the bandmates, so you might hear a thing or two about me. Oh, I rub my hands together. What? Things. Were you the high school dealer or something? He chuckles and ducks his head. No, 
I couldn't risk doing anything that would get me arrested and taken away from my mom and sister, but I was a go-getter. Anything to make money. When I wasn't in school or wrestling, I was working on jobs. Roofing, tile setting, landscaping, flooring. Whatever paid well and under the table. You're a hustler, I state rather than ask. A sly smile on my face. He snorts. Actually, that's my nickname. We pull into the parking lot and he puts the truck in park, turning off the engine. Unbuckling his seatbelt, he turns to face me, getting comfortable in his chair. But there's more. Okay. I also undo my seatbelt and turn to face him, propping my knee up on the center console. He settles his hand on my knee, his fingers tracing the argyle print on my thigh highs. How such a simple touch can send shivers up my thighs to coalesce in my pussy, I'm not sure. It might be the way Lucas holds his breath before stilling his fingers, or the heat burning in his eyes every time he looks at me. Or the desire I'm fighting to climb him like a tree after the kiss we shared. Something about Lucas is different. He's sweet, despite his good looks and hard body that says he could be an arrogant asshole and women will still swoon. Nothing about him seems false. This is the kind of man I could fall head over heels for, with only a slight breeze propelling me forward. Maybe I already have. I've dated a few of the women I've trained at the resort, he finally says. I quirk my brow. Rich, older women, like the one you were training yesterday? His hand clenches into a fist. Not Babs, but women like her, yeah. And they bought you things like this truck? He glances around the cab as if looking at it through fresh eyes. I pay for this truck, but Evelyn put down a hefty down payment for me. When my piece of shit Sentra crapped out on my way to her place. So, I bite my lip, trying to find words that won't offend him, but still cut straight to the heart of the matter. You're a gigolo? No. His brow furrows. I mean, that wasn't my plan. In the beginning, I thought these women saw my potential and believed in my dreams. I dated one for a few months before she dumped me out of nowhere, but then her friend asked me to train her. Next thing I knew, we were dating. After a couple of months and a couple of vacations, she too called it quits. He shrugs. The tips were so good, not just from the women I dated, but from the women who were waiting their turn. I made a real dent in my student loans after paying my mom's mortgage and my sister's room and board at her school. I guess I was slow to catch on to the game, but then the other trainers let me in on the secret. And I thought, who the hell am I to say no to such a sweet deal? Lucas pulls his hand from my knee, retreating into himself, but I won't let him. I pull it back to me, placing our interlaced fingers higher on my thigh. 
It's okay. You were using them. He shakes his head. They were using me. But once I figured it out, I let them. For a price. I sigh, trying not to be jealous or curious as to exactly how many women he slept with that he still sees at the gym on a weekly basis. Which one are you dating now? I'm not. I haven't been with a woman in months. Why not? His gaze focuses on my fingers as I trace small circles over the back of his hand. I was tired of the games. Those women have years of experience and no heart left. I didn't want to become jaded like them, using people like they were once used themselves. I press my lips together, unsure of what to say. Do I tell him I don't care about the women of his past, but it bothers me he still sees them daily? Not that I'm in a position to be jealous. This is only our first date, but I already know I want more. Is this a double standard? Men have sugar babies all the time, paying for all kinds of things, to include their rent. Why can't affluent women use their money to buy time and affection too? I'm a feminist after all, I shouldn't have a problem with this. I understand if you don't want to get involved with me. He sighs when I say nothing. I bring my eyes up to meet his, realizing I've been staring at our joined hands for far too long. I don't care what you've done before you met me, but I won't date a guy while he dates other women. I'm selfish that way. That's not selfish. Almost all of my current clients are men or women who want to achieve their fitness goals. Babs was one of my last clients hoping for more, and I turned her over to another trainer yesterday. Yesterday? Right after you refused to take my card. I bite my lip to hide my smile. Why? Because once I saw you, I had no patience for her shenanigans. The woman is pushy. And possessive. Very. I lean forward and set my palm flat on the leather seat between his legs, so my face is inches from his. I might become possessive of you. He flashes me a small smile and licks his lips. You can demand all my love and affection. I will happily give them to you. And if we're dating and... A woman from your past wants a second round of training? Shaking his head, he cups my face and swipes his thumb over my cheek. I'm not taking on any new clients. Besides, I hope to be out of there soon. My friend who works at the OTC said they're interviewing for new trainers next month and I'm on the list. I've already had my pre-screen evaluation and everything. I smile. That's wonderful, Lucas. Any other secrets you need to tell me on our first date? His eyes drop to my lips. I think you're great, beautiful, smart, driven. I like everything I've learned about you. Is that a secret? No, 
I'm sure the guys will see it all over me as soon as we walk through the doors. I lean forward, closing the gap between us, my lips hovering over his. Maybe we should kiss again before we walk through those doors. You know, since you feel the need to behave yourself in public. There are all kinds of dark corners inside Henry's, so I wasn't planning on behaving myself the whole night. He closes the distance, pressing his lips to mine at the same time he moves his hand from my face into my hair. It takes seconds for our kiss to turn hot, and he's pulling me onto his lap. I can't exactly straddle him given the size of him and the seat, but fortunately for us, I'm quite bendy, so I swing my leg over the center console, pulling him as close to my body as possible. He groans, you're flexible. Don't let my size fool you, I'm a yoga queen. I giggle and trail kisses over his jaw. I'm quite agile myself, maybe I'll show you sometime. You wanna wrestle later? I flash him another taunting grin. I love that he's playful. A guy his size, you'd expect him to be stiff, but not Lucas. Let's see where the night goes. Five. Lucas. We're early, so heads turn at the band table as soon as we enter the bar. Hustler, they yell, a couple of them lifting bottles of Corona and greeting. Ayla giggles as my grip tightens on her joined hands. I'm impressed with how well she took my admission but I'm more affected by how she clearly laid out her boundaries. Over time, I'm sure details of my story will come out. Maybe there will be things she doesn't like, and we'll have to deal with them as they come up. But I'm an honest guy, so whatever happens, she'll always get me 100%. We walk up to the table. Guys, this is Ayla. Jamie, Kirian's new bride, stands up and offers her hand. You look familiar. Do you subscribe to H&A? I ask. When my sister was home for the summer, she came out with me many times and met the crew. As a new 21-year-old, I asked to chaperone her whenever she let me, as an overprotective big brother tends to do. Yeah, your sister turned me on to it. Jamie's eyes grow wide. Oh my God, you're her. Ayla blushes. I had no idea I was so popular. Marcy and Debbie approach offering their hands. We love your channel. So body positive? You talk to your fans about loving their curves without demeaning women without them. I see no reason to bash one body type, even if they aren't my target audience. Ayla shrugs. Let's grab a drink, Jamie squeals, taking my woman's arm and pulling her away from me, the four ladies walking to the bar and leaving us behind. I glance at my empty hand. What the fuck just happened? Jerry, Marcy's husband and the band's lead guitarist, laughs. I have accepted your woman into the pack. I hope you plan on keeping her, because they do. She doesn't look old enough to be a cougar hustler. Kirian hands me a cold corona from an ice bucket on the table. She's not. I haven't dated one of them in a while. Does she know? 
Yeah, I told her in the parking lot, just in case one of you ran your big mouth. I narrow my eyes in his direction. He chuckles. Good call. One of us would have slipped. It's just too much fun to poke at you about it. I snort and tip the bottle back, taking a healthy swig. Glancing over my shoulder, I catch Ayla looking back at me, smiling. Something warm rushes through my veins, and I know in my heart that she's the one. Just like Mrs. Henderson said. Well, be nice to me tonight. I like her, and don't want to scare her away. Kirian chucks me on the shoulder. We'll be on our best behavior. Speaking of best behavior, Jerry draws my attention back to him. Jacob's asking about Celia. I think my little brother has a crush on her. I frown and hold my hand out to Ayla as the foursome walk back to the table, chatting excitingly about God knows what. I hope it's not me and any embarrassing stories from my teenage years. When she slips her fingers between mine, everything feels right. I don't know how I feel about that, man. Jacob's a good kid. Jerry checks his watch as a group of people walk into the bar, and Eric, their drummer, beats a cadence on his set, letting them know he's ready to rock and roll. Marcy's head snaps up. Oh yeah, Jacob was asking about Celia recently. So I've heard. I shake my head, my big brother instincts roaring to life. Jacob is a good kid, focused, even though he isn't going to school. He works construction with Kirian sometimes, but got himself signed on with the county, which means benefits and job security. She'll be home for Christmas. Marcy bats her eyelashes but says nothing. Let's warm up. Kirian pulls Jamie into his body and lays a possessive kiss on his wife before smacking her ass and walking away. He's been like that with her from the first night. Now that I think about it, he told me he just knew with her, too. He calls over his shoulder. It was nice to meet you, Ayla. You're going to stay for a while, right? Jamie smiles and sets her drink down. Ayla glances at me, and I nod. As long as you want. For the next 20 minutes, the band warms up, then they take a 10-minute break before starting a 45-minute set. The crowd is hopping instantly, people dancing in their chairs and taking to the floor. Jamie, Marcy, and Debbie stand up and dance near the table, inviting Ayla to join them. Do you boogie? She smiles down at me. I shake my head. No, but I'm more than happy to have you shake your ass for me. A couple of songs play, and Ayla moves her luscious body to each one, moving closer each time until she's between my splayed knees, her hands on my thighs as she leans forward to kiss me. I like your friends. Thank you for introducing me to them. It means more than you can imagine. They like you, too. They said I'm the first woman you've brought around since your college girlfriend. I nod. That's true. Does that make me special? You are very special. She smiles. I'm having a great time, but I think it's time for you to take me home. My heart sinks because I don't want the night to end. Do you have to get up early tomorrow? No, but I think the first time you fuck me, it should be in private. Don't you? All the air leaves my lungs, and I find the strength to stand up and grasp her hand, throwing forty bucks on the table. Tell Kyrie and I'll call him later. Jamie laughs. Let's do dinner next week, the four of us.
Sounds good, I say over my shoulder while breaking for the door with Ayla laughing beside me. See you next time, she yells and waves frantically at the three ladies who have stopped dancing to laugh at me. Can't wait, Jamie, Marcy, and Debbie call back right before we're out of earshot. I drive faster than I should to Ayla's house, pulling into her driveway and shutting down the engine. I'm out of my seat and opening her door before she can unbuckle her seatbelt. She laughs and shakes her head at my enthusiasm. I shrug, a slight blush hitting my cheeks. I guess rushing you out of there was rude, but what you said disrupted all the blood feeding my brain. Temporary insanity? I'll apologize later. I take her hand and help her out of the truck, pushing her up against the door and claiming her lips for everyone to see. The world needs to know she's mine, starting with her neighborhood. She moans, scraping her fingernails down my chest. I want more. Let's go inside, so you can sit pretty for me. Sit pretty? She raises her brow and leads me into her house. Chuckling, I pull her back against my chest, nuzzling her neck as I inch up her skirt. I'll show you, but first... We have to get these tights off. When my fingers caress the flesh under her skirt, I suck in my breath. These aren't tights. She shakes her head. Thigh highs. You mean to tell me I could have been sliding my hand up your skirt unimpeded all night? If you had tried, she sings. Fuck me. I won't make that mistake again. As soon as we're inside, I kick off my shoes and pull my shirt over my head. Ayla stops what she's doing, her eyes wide. Holy shit. What? You're built like an extra from the set of 300. I chuckle, lowering myself to my knees on the shag carpet in the living room. I reach up under her skirt and slide her panties down her legs, looking up at her face as she stares down at me, her mouth plump and well-kissed. Once she steps out of them, I lift her skirt, pressing kisses to the tops of her thighs, glimpsing her pretty pussy shaved bare. She runs her fingers through my hair as I slide my tongue over her exposed sex. But I need her to open wide for me, because the first thing I plan to plunge deep between her slick lips is my tongue. I take her hand and lean back until I'm on my ass, pulling her down with me. Sit on my face. Her jaw falls open. What? Sit on my face. I can't. I'll smother you. You won't. She shakes her head and plops down on the floor beside me. I narrow my eyes and then take in our surroundings, pushing an ottoman out of the way. Fine. Placing my palm flat against her sternum, I push her back and roll on top of her, kissing her breathless and then working my way down her body. I'll strip her bare soon enough, but I love the idea of feasting on her pussy fully clothed, as if to stress how tonight may be in private, but this could be public. For instance, she could ride my mouth and fuck my tongue while in the backseat of my truck, something I've fantasized about doing for a while. I move down between her legs, licking her playfully as I wrap my arms around her thighs and lock her in place. Then I roll. Her earlier demonstration of how flexible she is giving me all the confidence I need performing this wrestling move. 
forcing her up and over my face with the upward thrust of my chest. I plunge my tongue deep before she can object, turning her protest into moans of pleasure within seconds. She tries to hold herself up, but I tighten my arms, pulling her tight against my mouth. Soon she's writhing, panting, fucking my face as I lick and suck at her clit, penetrating her cunt with my tongue. I'm not concerned about her smothering me, but if I do my job right, she might drown me. And I'm okay with that. Pressing my thumb over her clit, I know the moment she's about to release. Her pussy flooding my mouth with her sweet arousal seconds later. She throws her head back and cries out, finally relaxing and resting her full weight as her legs tremble around my head. She rolls to my side when I let go of her thighs, boneless from her release. I wipe my chin and run my hand up the outside of her thigh, growling. Next time I tell you to have a seat, baby. Have a fucking seat. I guess, she pants. I've never come like that before. Sitting on a guy's face? From Oral. I sit up on my elbow. Shut up. Seriously, I've always enjoyed it, but I've never released. That was intense. Fuck me. Hearing that only makes me want to do it again. Six. Ayla. I giggle, swatting his hand away before sitting up. I've got a better idea, but we need to get you naked first. He stands up and pulls me to my feet. Bedroom. Nodding, I slip my hand over his fly and unbutton his jeans, grabbing a fistful of denim and pulling him to me. Bedroom. I walk ahead of him, letting my skirt fall to the ground in the hallway as I pull my sweater over my head and toss it to the floor, sashaying my hips the entire way. Lucas's eyes glow with lust as he brings his gaze up, watching me unclasp my bra and throw it across the room. I'm standing in my thigh highs and nothing else, and I've never felt like more of a buffet spread in my life. His expression says he wants to devour every inch of me, feast for days, and I'm good with that. He's a god carved from stone as his jeans slide down his hips, his glorious cock jutting out in invitation. I can't stop myself from falling to my knees, wanting to worship him as he did me minutes ago. You want a taste? I lick my lips and flash him a smile, beckoning him with a crook of my finger. He steps forward, sliding his hand into my hair as I wrap my fingers around his thick length and part my lips. He groans as I slide my tongue along his length, taking him deep within my mouth. Oh, fuck, baby. I smile and double down, making him sloppy wet as I take him hard and fast between my lips. Within minutes, his balls tighten in my hand, 
and I know it won't take much to send him over the edge. Maybe I'm going to come. I nod, giving him silent permission to do so. His fingers clench in my hair and he pumps his hips and takes over, the tip of his cock brushing the back of my throat. Within seconds he's coming, shooting his seed, which I gobble up without missing a drop. Relaxing his hand, he picks me up and throws me on the bed before I wipe my mouth clean. He covers me with his finely honed muscles, kissing me with the fervor of a man not drained by his release, but invigorated. His hands are everywhere, caressing every inch of my flesh, alternating between loving and possessive strokes. He touches me with such reverence, and I wonder what's going through his head. You okay? He buries his face in my neck, his hips centered between my thighs, his cock hard again and probing at my center. I want to memorize every inch of you, mark every part of you, imprint myself on your heart and soul. I feel love radiating off him, and damn it, my heart expands to welcome it in. What is it about him that makes me feel safe and secure? His honesty? Surely. The care and love he has for his family? Definitely. That he showed me off to his friends on our first date? Absolutely. He's not just eye candy, he's so much more. And I feel fortunate no one else figured it out before I met him. You've already made your mark, Lucas. Now claim me as your own. He lifts to meet my eye. Do you think you could fall in love with me, Ayla? I think I already have. Exhaling slowly, he smiles and thrusts his hips forward, filling and stretching me in one fluid motion, taking my breath away. I love you too. Epilogue. Ayla. Sit pretty for me, Lucas says huskily as I crawl up his body from beneath the sheets. We've been living together since our first date, even though he never technically moved in. He doesn't want to fall asleep without me, and I don't want to wake up alone. So everything just fell into place. I wipe the corner of my mouth with my thumb and smile, kissing him as he grips the back of my thighs to encourage me to continue moving up and aligning my pussy with his ever-eager and talented mouth. Gone are the days I worry about smothering him. The man is so gifted, he gets me off before he runs out of air. Straddling his head, I arch my back and grip my ankles, glancing up at the ceiling, before closing my eyes and letting his first lick of my pussy send blood rushing to my clit. 
He digs his fingers into my hips as he sucks and fucks me with his mouth, his tongue plunging deep and quickly working me toward my morning orgasm. We wake each other up this way at least once a week. I rouse him by crawling under the sheets, and once he comes, he asks me to sit pretty. It's the greatest damn ritual I've ever been a part of, and the best part of waking up. Fuck Folgers. Within minutes, I'm coming undone, rolling off him only after he's drained me of every drop flowing from my pussy. He settles himself between my thighs and thrusts forward, filling and stretching me with his impressive cock, while kissing me with a hint of my arousal on his whiskers. I love waking up with you, I moan, hooking one ankle behind his back. The other I stretch out and hold near my head, letting him work himself in and out of me as deep as possible. Like I said, I'm Bendy. I love you all day, every day, he growls, clamping down his control as he makes each stroke count, rubbing my G-spot until I'm a quivering puddle of goo underneath him. Oh, Lucas. I moan right before my climax hits, my cunt gripping and pulsating around his cock, pulling him over the edge with me. Lucas buries his face in my neck, grunting through his release, cursing under his breath, and filling me with his cum. We lie in post-orgasmic bliss for several minutes, wrapped in each other's arms, before he brings his head up to look at me. Before we go to my sister's graduation party, I have a question for you. Yes, hustler. I like that word. Keep it on the tip of your tongue. Lucas rolls to his side of the bed, opening the table drawer. I don't have a lot to my name but I'll hustle every day to make sure you never go without what you want. I suck in my breath when he rolls over with a blue velvet box, my eyes wide as he kneels beside me. Ayla, you are perfect for me. Every day we're together is the best day of my life. Will you give me a lifetime of best day and perfect and marry me? I sit up with tears in my eyes and say the only word that makes sense. Yes. This has been Sitting Pretty by Cameron Clare. Read for you by Christian Black and Lori West. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Cameron Claire, for giving us Sitting Pretty this week and letting us and make your first audio book. Hope it was a good experience for you. We really appreciate you being with us. 
Next week, we have Natalie Knight, and it's called Yes, Daddy. And I know. I'm so excited. The cover is so hot. It's so hot. I love it. I cannot wait. So make sure you join us back here on Tuesday. That's it. Right. We'll see you guys then. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make today your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine. Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind. And read me romance. Read, read me romance.